Hi there, it's episode 118. Today we're talking about all natural parenting biohacks and what that means. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi there, it's Danae. Welcome to episode 118. Today I have an interview with Jenna Pincott. Jenna is talking to us all about biohacks for raising strong, resilient kids. When I say all natural biohacks, I'm talking about using the food and the environment around us to increase the resilience, focus, perseverance, memory, and much more of our children. I found Jenna's book and the conversation that I had with her to be fascinating. Before we dive into today's episode, here's a word from the sponsor. The sponsor for this episode is the Canvas People. If you're anything like me, you probably have an overwhelming number of photographs on your phone. Of the thousands that I take every year, only a handful do I really feel compelled to print out and to display in my home. We recently put up a gallery wall in our living room and I was looking to incorporate some photographs into it. So I thought, what better way than a beautiful canvas to integrate our family photos among other pieces of art? If you're looking for something other than just a standard photo frame, or even a gift for a holiday coming up, please take advantage of this special offer. Right now, if you go to canvaspeople.com, you can get a free 11 by 14 canvas. Use the code SIMPLE. And all you're going to pay is shipping and handling. This is a $69 value, and it's something that you're going to treasure forever. So again, go to canvaspeople.com and use the special code SIMPLE, and you'll get your free 11 by 14 canvas. Back to today's episode. After wrapping up a month of play, today's episode with Jenna Pincott is switching gears. We're going to be talking today about all-natural parenting biohacks, a topic that I really don't know anything about and I have learned so much about from Jenna. If you have questions or comments, go to the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 118. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Jenna. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me here. It's good to talk with you today, Jenna. This summer on Simple Families, we've been talking about a variety of parenting topics. And today I'm looking forward to hearing more about your new book, Wits, Guts, Grit. I want you to introduce the book a little bit, but first tell me who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, my name is Jenna Pincott, and I'm a science writer. Um, I have a background in biology um, and also um, media. I've been writing um, popular science books for many years now, um, and this one was really um, this one was really close to my heart because it involved um, my two daughters, um, especially my um, my now seven year old, um, who was sort of participated in some of the explorations and experiments in this book. So it's a science book, but it also has anecdotes that sort of draw on our personal experiences. So as a science writer, can you tell me what your job is? Do you take research and make it into something that the layperson can read? Yes, exactly. I guess I I draw on lots and lots of studies and I sort of find what's interesting or relevant and I try to make it make it, um, or try to communicate it, try to make it, um, um, make sense for all of us. Okay. So that helps. So this is your book is a collection of studies that you have interpreted for us, for people who don't necessarily go out and read empirical research on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. Yes. Yes. So how, so as a science writer, how do you balance science with parenting? 
Um, well, fortunately, my, my kids are now in school, uh, the little ones in, in preschool. So it gives me time to do what I love to do most. I love to draw and I love to read new studies that are coming out. I'm sort of an addict on um, uh, something called Pub, PubMed. Um, and uh, I love to read the latest in science, you know, and, and scientific studies that are coming out. Um, and um, I love to talk to scientists. So, um, so I, I make sure I have the time to do that. It's and I write lots of um, I write magazine articles too in Popular Science. Um, so it's it's sort of what I do as a livelihood and and as a love. Do you have any advice for parents who hear all of these new studies that are coming out all the time and balancing what they should listen to and what they should sort of take as as truth versus open to interpretation? I guess that was sort of the spirit in which I wrote this book because, um, you know, we see a lot of, we, we do hear a lot of studies and, and headlines especially, and it can be kind of overwhelming. Um, so I think part of the spirit of this book was to, to experiment on our own to sort of, you know, take some of these ideas. I shared them actually with my daughter um, as we went along, even when she was younger, when she was five. Um, because even a five-year-old, I think, can can understand some of this, and we we experimented. We we sort of um, I introduced her to the scientific studies, and then we and encouraged her personal investigations. What what do you think about this? Um, if it, you know, when we were talking about microbes in in yogurt, for instance, and then sort of tinkering. And um, now that she's older, we we even critique some of the studies or some of the findings and. I guess that I, I just really like the spirit of finding ways to apply scientific findings to our own lives. So really, you really involved your daughter in helping to explore the scientific method when you were doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was great. She was great. It's perfect for the age group for, for young kids. That's really fun. They're actually natural scientists. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. They are little explorers who have so many questions, which is a very, very scientist-like attribute, right? Yes, yes. So you gathered a lot of studies that interested you and things that you thought would interest the parenting audience, and you applied those to your life. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So was that how now you took a handful of studies and over what period of time did you do this? So the book kind of covers a course of a year. Um, so we, we'd spend about a month on each, uh, or I'd, I'd spend a month on each study or, or, or topic. Um, of course a book can take more than a year to write. So, you know, there's always the tinkering with the, with the words later on, but it took about a year. It took about a year. Okay. And I have to admit that most of this is totally foreign to me. So I have a lot of questions and they might sound silly because I just, I don't really have a background in a lot of the things that you're investigating. So, which is really cool because I feel like I'm learning a lot about this process. And I'm, so this sort of goes out to all the listeners. I think that sometimes we are overwhelmed with how much there is out there that we feel like we should be doing for our kids. And this, the the information in, in your book, I think is really valuable, but at the same time, it's not that everybody has to go out there and start doing all of these things right away. Right. right. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So, um, as, as with anything, and I, I, I give this disclaimer on the podcast a lot that I think if there's things that you hear that really resonate with you, then take those things. And if there's things that don't resonate with you, then leave them, which I think is true, true of parenting in, right, gen- right. in general. Right. 
yes, yes. Some of it, I mean, in the book also, I think some of it is just, you know, it, 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 it's something interesting to know about. Do you do it? Not, you may or may not. It's it's take it or leave it. Absolutely. It, even in the, you know, the, the 12 chapters of the book. Um, I always encourage my readers <laughs> to skip around. Um, actually, in all of my books, um, you know, there's no obligation to read from front to back. Um, just find what interests you. That's great. And there are actually a lot of different chapters and different research studies that interested me as I was moving through it. Um, and quite a few that resonated with me too. And quite a few that felt like I was reading a foreign language because I just, it's like I said, so new to me, but um, I'm excited to dive deeper into these things. So I want you to explain first, what do you mean in your title? You say wits, guts, grit, all natural biohacks for raising smart, resilient kids. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, sure. So the, the wits, guts, grit. Well, first of all, I, I like the way those words sound together um, or the way they look on it uh, as a title. I was really happy about that. Although I, at later, as I tried to tell the title to people, it's a bit of a mouthful. Wits, guts, grit. Um, the wits part, I think, is really about um, I, the, some of the themes in the book are around working memory and focus. So I, that's, that, that's what I mean by wits. Um, not generally, not you know, boosting IQ or something like that, but really um, memory and focus and creativity. Um, the guts uh, in the title is kind of a double entendre. It's like um, guts as in courage, right? And, and, but also uh, the gut microbiome I talk and, and, uh, or, and digestion because I talk a lot about nutrients in the book um, as well as gut microbes. Um, and grit um, is that term we've all heard uh, from popular psychology referring to resilience, mostly about being able to bounce back from, from hardship or um, from stress. Okay. And what about biohacks? What are biohacks? So yeah, biohacks, and, and, and it's, it's kind of a trendy word now. I don't, I don't mean biohacking as something like, um, like gene editing to create some sort of Frankenchild. Or, or, you know, using pharmaceuticals, nothing like that in the book. Uh, it's sort of all natural. I mean, biohacking in the sense of like uh, tweaking and optimizing our minds and bodies using the tools and natural resources that we all have on hand. Okay. And through these, it sounds like you're trying to find this balance of nature versus nurture and mm-hmm. how to enhance nurture in the way that we are raising and, and developing our kids. Yes. Yes. Um, it, you know, the book really, I do think is at the next, it's really the right book for a, a parents who are sci- love science, but also love nature. Um, and I tried to bring those two together in this sort of mind body connection in this book. A lot of these experiments are all about you know, sort of mind, mind body connection and our relationship to, to the natural world. Um, you know, either immersing ourselves in nature or what we, or what we take into our bodies, our, our food, our nutrients. Okay. So uh, on the topic of nutrients and what we take into our bodies, your first chapter, you explore guts and how that impacts grit. So what, how your gut biome impacts grit. And I was fascinated by this chapter, um, particularly because I have never given the two, I've never connected the two, but I have to say that I took a lot of probiotics with my daughter when I was pregnant for the first 20 weeks mm, because I mm-hmm. had a yeast imbalance. 
huge, large, large amounts of probiotics. And she is the grittiest kid I've ever met. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, it's like one of those things that's very anecdotal, that evidence. But I'm like, wow, I wonder if like, what if (laughs) there is a connection between these two things? Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that, about the connection between grit and different strains of probiotics and what you found there? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, first of all, the the sort of inspiration for the chapter started when um, um, I started the experiments when my daughter was just learning violin. And this was back when she was like four. And violin was the hardest thing in her life. It was really hard. She was getting frustrated all the time. It just requires a lot of coordination. She's probably too young for it in retrospect, but it was it was a real test of of grit. And she was really delicate and really bratty and really resistant and, and, and it was just hard. And so I was really curious about the ways I might be able to nudge her resilience in the right direction. And, um, and that's when I started to read, you know, I'd known for years about these studies and that's when I started to think maybe we should, we should look into probiotics. Um, um, so I homed in on the two types of, of, um, uh, uh, gut microbes, but gut microbes that are, popular in these studies, and that's um, bifidobacterium and lactobacillus, and they're in yogurt and other fermented foods. And, um, and basically, they, they break down the fiber in the gut, and they produce lactic acid, and that uh, lactic acid has this, it's like an amazing um, psychobiotic sludge, I call it. And it helps us in so many ways um, and I, that I, I kind of detail in the book. Um, if you'd like, I can go into some more detail. Yeah. So if so, if we take these strains of probiotics, then the result could be that it impacts our mood and our mental health. Is that yes? Where you're going? With this? Okay. There, yes. You know, there are a bunch of studies that show. You know, that first started with a lot of mice studies, of course, and they and they found that when you give certain strains of these to bacteria types to, to mice that it reduces anxiety, the mice run mazes better. And then there have been some early human studies too that show that eating foods with lactobacillus and bifidobacteria, um, the people feel less anxious and greater calm. Um, there's a well-known one at UCLA in which, you know, I think people ate two servings a day of probiotic yogurt. It was a blind study and, um, and they did feel a greater sense of calm and their, their anxiety went down. Um, there's another one I mentioned in the book, um, it was in Asia you know, where med- students were taking a medical exam, which is like the most stressful, stressful, extremely stressful there. Um, and they were about to take, um, so, uh, part, uh, you know, part of the group drank a probiotic yogurt drink for a few weeks before that test. And another part didn't, and the, the, the students who had the probiotic drink, did a, um, they're less anxious and they didn't get as sick. You know, it suggests that their immune systems were a lot stronger, too. I think the idea that what we put in our body impacts the way our body functions on a physical and emotional and cognitive level is such an important connection to make. And I know I read a book, I don't know, over a decade ago called Food and Mood. I think it was by 
Elizabeth Somers, I want to say, is the author of it. Um, But it opened my eyes to this connection. And it was something, I was in my 20s at that time, it was something that I had never put together. I thought that, of course, you know, if you eat too much, you're going to gain weight and it's going to impact your physical health. You're eating too much sugar. You're not going to feel good. I kind of got those things on a very baseline level. But when it came to understanding that the food that I was putting into my body directly had an impact on my brain and the way that I was acting and feeling, that was really eye-opening for me. Um, and at the time I was working with, I was, as I was a social worker and I was doing therapy with children who had been abused and neglected and who were living in a group home setting and they were being fed really junky food. So they ate a lot of chips and carbs and cheese and it was just sort of not not well-rounded, healthy whole foods like we would hope for developing kids. Um, and they had a lot of behavioral problems, behavioral problems that didn't seem to be helped with therapy that much. And I, I've always sort of wondered about that from that point on is if what sort of impact does changing a child's diet really have on their behavior and on their mental health and on their well-being? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's huge. I, you know, I, I saw a difference, you know, even these yogurt experiments, I, you know, of course it, maybe it's just an illusion and not so scientific because we were expecting a change. I, my daughter was part, you know, she was participating in these experiments. We talked a lot about these strains of bacteria, and, but, you know, I saw it, I, I did see a difference there. I, I felt, you know, there were fewer frustration tantrums. Um, also I see a, a difference when, we went off it. We kind of slipped this winter. We had been making the yogurt every week for a long time. I mean, our homemade yogurt. We were, um, and um, and we stopped over the winter. And maybe it's just coincidence. Who knows? But there definitely was a downswing in, in temperament and behavior, and um, during our laps. Interesting. And I know you looked into other types of food and nutrients when you were writing this book. Was there anything else that stands out as far as being important in? forming and, and changing the behavior and well-being of our kids? Well, another area I looked into were um, flavonoids. Um, and this is a good time of year, actually, to to talk about flavonoids, which because they're in, they're in plants. They're in a lot of plants that are in season now, um, berries. Um, flavonoids are the plant dyes that make, uh, you know, they make blueberries blue or oranges oranges, uh, cocoa brown. <laughs> and um, the flavonoids are, are, they make plants resilient against the sun and the climate. Um, and in the, and in, in this book, I, I, I focused in a lot on um, blueberries in particular and the type of flavonoids in them, they're called anthocyanins. And there are another blue foods too, like um, blackberries and eggplant and black currants. Now, are um, those different than antioxidants? They're, they're, they, no, they're a form of antioxidants. Oh, they're a form. Okay. Um, got it. I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a big body of research that found a strong connection between blueberry intake and, and memory and senior citizens. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in sort of the, you know, young kids, uh, children and not the mature adult mind. And I came across some interesting research by, um, a group in England at the university of Reading, and they looked at the effects of blueberry consumption in, on kids. And they found that um, that children perform better on memory tests, like um, after the blueberries, an hour and a half or so after the blueberries. Hmm. And so I, 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 I 
took those uh, the same tests that they used in the studies, and I, I gave it to my daughter, and um, and indeed she really did seem to have a better memory, short-term memory, like uh, um, you know within hours of eating the blueberries. Again, could it have been illusion? Maybe this isn't so scientific, but um, but I, there is some real science behind how these nutrients do help the the brain. Interesting. I had maybe about two months ago, I started giving my son a higher dose of fish oils. And Mm -hmm. I had read that that can help working memory. And I sort of forgot that I had started them. I am definitely a skeptic when it comes to this kind of thing. So I wasn't really expecting to see much improvements. But his teacher had mentioned to me, she's like, you know, I've noticed like, his memory has really been improving. And I've seen these changes. And I it sort of stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, you know, I have too. And now that I think about it, I am noticing some really positive changes. And now I'm, I'm a believer. Like I do really think that these fish oils have significantly helped his working memory. And so I went and I dug into the research a little bit and it's, it looks like the, the research on it is mixed. There's some that says, yes, taking fish oils and DHA can help working memory. And then some say that, no, it doesn't in fact help. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like we should distinguish when we do see mixed research like this? You know, I, I always fall on the side, I guess, when I see mixed research on, on the whole food, like with, with omega threes, I'm a big believer in them too. I took, I took them, I took a fish oil pill throughout my pregnancy with my firstborn and then, you know, I read the science, I read about that science of DHA later, and I realized, um, you know, I'm not going to start actually giving her the whole fish, the real wild salmon, and um, because I actually believe that the omegas help, but probably in the context, or best in the context, maybe of the, of the whole fish, if possible, um, because there are some other factors that might help absorption, it's, it's, you know, so if there's something mixed, I always err on the side of, of the whole food. So I'd rather give blueberries to, to my daughter rather than just anthocyanin in a pill. Yes. And that that makes a lot of sense. And it's sort of at that point, it's what's the harm, right? If they're right, right. right. A lot of blueberries probably isn't going to hurt a kid. I mean, I know my kids eat a lot of blueberries, so. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) It's the right time of year too. Yes, absolutely. Um, In one of your other chapters, you looked a little bit more about magnesium intake and you talked about how our food sources are changing and in particular, how some of our vegetables don't have as much of the nutrients nutrients and minerals that we need now. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've, how in your experience and your knowledge, how our food has changed and what that means for the food that we're eating? Well, in the research, it turns out that, um, that a lot of our fruits and vegetables contain, you know, just a fraction of the nutrients. Like for magnesium, it's up to 15, 50% less magnesium, um, than two, than they did two generations ago to human generations ago. And the big reason is that the soil and the soil our food is grown in, it's not as mineral rich as it used to be. Um, and the soil microbiome, it's depleted because of uh, fertilizers and herbicides. And and there are lots of other reasons too that the, the, the food is not as nutritious. It's like a early picking, you know, they pick it early so it's hard and it can transport more easily. Um, and then the, the, the food that makes a supermarket, they're selected for hardiness, not really nutrition. Okay. Um, 
Is there any no. connection between GMOs and nutrient and mineral content? Do you know? Not, not that I know of. I, I looked into whether organic might be more nutritious than conventional because I was really curious about that. And I found that it really depends on the soil. Um, again, if that's if a, if a farm just converted from conventional to organic or something like that, then that organic soil might that the the foods grown in that soil might not necessarily be getting any more nutrients than than they would otherwise. It depends on it really depends on the soil. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, this all has me thinking and it's sort of one one more thing for us as parents to worry about. We're giving our kids I know. real whole food and it's it's not good enough real whole food. I know. Uh, it's hard. It's it's hard. It's really hard. It's it doesn't go down well. I mean, I've been trying to, at this time of year, I feel a little, you know, I can, I, we're lucky there's a farmer's market not far. And the suggestion is that that food is, is, you know, is grown in different soil, not the, not factory farm. And I hopefully, and I, I, I you you can tell the tomatoes, they definitely taste better than the ones we get at the supermarket. Um, but you never know. It's hard to tell. I can't wait for the day when we have something attached to our, our smartphones that will help us. We like, can test, test it out. <laughs> test our own foods, like isotopes, and you could tell them. But right now, it's hard. Yeah, that's interesting. Who knows? Maybe the day is near. There might be somebody working I, on that. I hope so. But in talking more about outside, I'm really interested in the studies that look at the impact of the exposure to the exposure to nature and the impact on our children's well-being and development. And we've talked about it on the podcast before about the importance of getting kids outside and playing outside. And I know you looked at this a little bit in the book. Is Was there mm -hmm. anything that really stood out as being really eye-opening for you as far as the impact of nature on child development? Well, you know, at, for, for, at first I was really looking at through the filter of uh, microbiome again and environmental um, 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 microbiome. And so I was really interested in the studies on Mbakai, which is um, the um, uh, microbe found in plant matter. We come into contact it when we're like, touching or eating plants and grasses. We breathe it in when we're in the forest. The Japanese have this um, concept of forest bathing. You kind of immerse yourself in it, in nature, and 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 Mbakai, which is everywhere. When we breathe it in, it, it, it goes in. Um, in our airways and our immune, ce immune cells, they encounter it and, and they take it in. And um, in the experiments, it's uh, this, this microbe found in nature everywhere um, has had an amazing behavioral effect on, on animals. And there's some evidence on humans too. Um, like the, the mice who have been exposed to this, they complete mazes and circuits faster. Um, it decreases anxiety, increases focus, all the sort of things that we want for our kids. Um, and there's been actually new, new studies that just came out um, from the same research group this week who's trying, they're trying to develop a, um, a stress vaccine that's kind of based on Mbakai, this microbe, this mycobacteria. So um, that would be really, really interesting if there's some way to package it. And um, they, they, their idea, the idea is that you give a stress vaccine to first responders, people who are otherwise, you know, in, you know, chronically stressed, but you can imagine many applications for it. 
Yeah. And I, I've read a lot of studies of the impact of nature on children and on adults. And one thing that I haven't given much thought to is sort of this next step. Like, yes, we do know that nature is good for humans, but why? And so the M Bacchae, am I pronouncing that right? How do you mm-hmm, spell that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, they just, it's just spelled M like period B-A-C-C-A-E. Okay. Interesting. So that is the thought. That's one of the things that impact one of those environmental microbes. But the important thing to also mention is that it's not the only one. Um, there may be many, many more microbes out there with sort of soothing, calming, you know, health promoting properties. And it's a, um, and scientists are also looking for ways that soil microbiome might help uh, lead to better antibiotics for us. So there's a wealth of, <laughs> of interesting research going on in, in, in soil microbiome. Interesting. So I, I really liked you had, you talked in one of your chapters about your daughter being a little bit of a daydreamer and how you mm. feel like, and so your thoughts on that and how nature impacts that, um, I don't know. Do you have any anything to tell us about that? Because I thought that was a really neat part of your research. Yeah, that it's. And, and I have to remind myself it's really good to just try to. Even I live in the city, and it, just to try to get her to go to a park, uh, I think is really, really a good thing. Um, basically, nature helps a mind wanderer. There, there, there are two types of attention. There's there's focused attention, which you know most of the day um, kids have to be in focused attention, paying attention to school. But even music or even even TV and, and sports require focused attention. And children these days, I think, spend almost all their time in focused attention mode. And then there's sort of a default mode, which is like daydreaming and associative thinking. And um, you know, we tend to value focused attention, but that, that flips of the coin daydreaming, I don't think, is as valued. Um, but there is a real value to daydreaming. Um, for one, it increases creativity and introspection. And um, and a tie-in with nature is that there's evidence that nature really helps that daydreaming, kind of ushers you know kids out of focus attention mode and into that more associative default mode. Um, right, and being able to sort of switch back and forth between the two might actually yes. strengthen your ability to focus. To be able to focus for a yes. time and then to daydream for a time and then focus yes. and then daydream. Yeah, like a, there have been studies that show that like a 20-minute walk through a green space can can sort of restore that that focused attention mode. You know, get get you into default mode faster and more easily than than get you you know ready again to focus. Right, and I think about some of the tech companies who are really advanced in increasing employee morale and all of the benefits that they have. You know, you hear about Google having like nap pods and like outdoor <laughs> spaces for people to go, and they just sort of let you take your time to rejuvenate yourself. And I think about some of those concepts that some of these tech companies are implementing for the overall well-being of their employees, and think about how long is it going to take for us to start doing that in our schools? Because our kids, if the grownups yes. need it. The kids absolutely need it. Yes, yes. I, and especially in urban school, um, you know, there's just no no green space. The even the playground, there's it's just um, you know hardtop. It's the concrete. There's nothing. Um, and the view, you know, just a view of greenery. Some studies studies suggest of just a view, just as um, you know, being able to see it outside the window. Even that is restorative to an extent. 
Right. And I think in schools today, we're expecting our kids to be on all the time with very little recess, very little time to daydream and to explore. And that's something that's even hard for adults. I know if you ask me to sit down for an eight hour workday and be on all day, I just, I will not do, I would be miserable, number one, but I also would struggle, really struggle with that. Right. I, I firmly believe that creativity is one of our, you know, our society's, our culture's greatest, you know, assets. And, and we are just, and it's becoming, um, it's endangered. Absolutely. Well, Jenna, this has been so interesting. I feel like there are so many things that I've never even thought about that I read in your book and things that I am excited to learn more about. So thank you so much for sharing this. I'm going to put a link to your book in the show notes. So anyone that wants to read more, you can do that. Um, But yeah, I think there's so much, there's so much to be said here. And I think that this is some of these things that you're talking about in your book are things that probably aren't going to be in the mainstream and talked about for another 15 or 20 years. Well, I hope so. I mean, I hope that I hope people are starting to talk about yes. it, think about it now. I think so. But I, I, think, I think it's it just takes some time for people to really explore some of these issues um, from a from a larger picture, from a bigger perspective. Yeah, they're, they're topics that are they're really evolving now, um, especially the microbiome. It's just really taking off. It's amazing. It is. I'm astounded every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jenna. This has been really great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to learn more about Jenna and get a link to her book, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 118. If you want to stay in touch with Simple Families, go to simplefamilies.com and leave your email address. Email is the best way to stay in touch with what's going on in the blog, the podcast, and in the community. Please take a second to leave a rating or review in iTunes. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks for tuning in.